Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for sending us your light. Lord, that there is no darkness in the world that can stand before you and that you have offered us this light to bring all under yourself. Lord, would you direct our hearts that way this morning and with the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Amen. Well, we have come to a new season in the church year. We have come to what the majority of the American church, the American Christian church calls nothing. They don't call it anything because it's just that time in between Christmas and pancakes that uh, we all slowly fail in our New Year's resolve. Um, But we, uh, clever liturgical folk that we are, um, have concocted a way to distract ourselves from our own failures and, uh, and, and to be focused on something else in this uh, in-between season, and that is the season of Epiphany, um, which is, of course, our birthday as a congregation, so um, even, even more festive. Um, so the obvious stars of the Epiphany moment are, well, the wise men and their star. Um, and so these guys had the, uh, the privilege, actually, of, in the person, enacting all of these prophecies, right? They had the privilege of bringing physical gifts to the Christ child in the first century. And so that is a special place of privilege, um, and we might be uh, benefited greatly by studying them in some way, shape, or form, but that is not uh, what I think I'll be doing this morning. Uh, It's for someone else. I think for us to really get into the season of Epiphany, what we need to do is take a really close look at this prophecy of Isaiah and, and look at what does it mean for, what, what is the hope that is instilled here, right? We, we too can bring gifts, even if it's only by proxy, by tithe, by offering of our talents. We too bring gifts to the Lord. And so what is it in Epiphany that we are being called to, um, to remember, uh, to maybe reignite in our own faith life, like the wise men. And so, uh, in order to enter into this poem of Isaiah, though, uh, I want to offer you guys a framework that's always been helpful for me as in, in studying the Old Testament. And to me, when I'm, when I'm reading the prophets, I have this notion of a portal, Okay, like in a portal, you jump through and then you're somewhere else, right? And so I think it's helpful for us when we approach the prophets to look at these visions 
as a portal. Um, Ezekiel especially seems to have like actually found himself in one place and then in another um, physically transported. But I think with Isaiah, he gets these visions. And these visions change not just things in the world around him, but they seem to be a different world entirely where new possibilities are available, where things don't just act, but things are subsumed into the glory of God and his power. And so for us, we need to be able to step into this portal and observe this other world. All right, so as we, as we go back through this prophecy, I want you to really think like I'm entering into a new world that is, you know, the gravity is different here. The air feels different here. The light is not just bright, but it's, it's thick and we can feel it. We can touch it. This is a new world that we're entering into when we go into the prophecy of Isaiah because he feels the glory of God all around him and it connects everything. It is the only thing that makes sense of this world. So join with me as we go back through. I'll just read the first four verses and I've, uh, I've got my own translation here. So, but go ahead and look at yours and just note, notice that there will be some differences and I, and I did that for a reason. I want you to just think about those. Let, let that inform a little bit of perspective, I think, will be helpful. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of Yahweh dawns over you. For behold, the darkness, it covers the land, and pitch black coats the peoples too. Then over you breaks Yahweh's dawn, and his glory upon you shall be seen. Foreigners will journey to your light, and kings unto your daybreak sheen. Lift your eyes all round and look out. All are gathering. Come to you. From far away, your sons are come, and daughters safe on hip. Ensue. The first thing we notice about this world is the overwhelming radiance. In these first four verses, we find six different mentions of light from a variety of contexts, but a central metaphor holds them together. It's the breaking dawn coming up over the mountains. But this is not a normal sunrise coming to welcome another new day in Zion. No, this is a dawn like no other. The light does not shine on the holy city, but shines from the holy city. This is how the prophet can proclaim, arise, shine. The people, the city itself is doing the shining. How is this happening? Well, in the new world of this prophecy, light is not a product of the sun, but is a quality of Yahweh, which he is giving to his people almost like a physical robe. I want you guys to imagine you're there, standing on the walls of the holy city, 
and you are looking out and the radiance of Yahweh is coming from the east and you, you realize that you're clothed in it and that now that you're clothed in this brightness of Yahweh, you're actually open to seeing other things in this light, through this light that is beaming to you and through you, from you. How would you feel? What could you see in this glorious splendor? Well, Isaiah begins to give us the answer to that. He directs our view, saying, look, look, how darkness is still covering the land below us. And just as our light is almost tangible, so too this darkness across the land. It's thick, like tar, holding people in pits, death and sin and fear and evil. Yet even as we're looking out, the, the light is coming from the east, right? I think even, even in this world, probably this, this, the light comes from the same direction. And then we're, we're, we're turning and we're looking out west, right? So dawn is breaking on us, but below the mountain, the mountain's still blocking the light, right? So, so there's the darkness, but it begins to break before us. The, the, the light is rising and we are beaming the light into the darkness on our way out towards the Mediterranean. And, and in this vision, Isaiah sees that the terrible scene of this thick darkness begins to melt away under the beam of this new light. As we're watching, the light begins to release things that have been bound, and they are turning to find the source of this freeing gleam. It reminds me of a scene from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Uh, many of you are probably familiar with this, but when the children arrive in Narnia, yeah, I got your attention, Bo. When the children arrive, the whole place has been locked in a dreadful state, right? It is always winter, but never Christmas. Always winter, but never Christmas. Yep. There, the white witch freezes all hopes, even petrifies subjects who are even remotely cheery. But soon, word spreads that Aslan is on the move. And the whole country begins to thaw. Spring comes. Life comes. Joy comes. Hope comes. That is just the sort of scene unfolding before us in Isaiah's vision. As the darkness fades, we see joy breaking loose. It starts with foreigners making their way to the Lord's mountain, but soon we can see that the lost and scattered children of the covenant have been kept safe and are returning among the throngs to the exiles of Jerusalem. Imagine if you are in this first audience hearing this from Isaiah, imagine the hope of this vision. Your family has been scattered all over the world, the known world to you at this point. And Isaiah is presenting you with a message from Yahweh himself that the darkness over the world is breaking and all of those you know, children 
brothers, sisters that have been lost in the world are being freed to come home with the peoples. It would be your greatest hope come true. But the return of the lost children, while it may have been the greatest hope and joy, is not the only blessing released by the light. As we continue looking out from the mountain over the west, the darkness is breaking. Well, if we uh, had our, uh, our you know, new eyes of this new world, we could see pretty darn far. And so we're going to look pretty darn far, and we're going to see all the way to the sea, right? And so that's the next part of our vision. So starting with verse 5, we'll go through verse 7. Then you will look and you will beam as your heart trembles and bursts, for the sea's wealth swells over you. Camels come covering like a tide, calves of Midian and of Ephah, from Sheba, everyone as well. They carry gold and frankincense, praises of Yahweh they make tell. And Keter's sheep gathered for you. Nebaioth's rams serve their duty. They'll go gladly on my altar, while I, the house of my beauty, will surely beautify. While light continues to be the central theme here in the vision, we get another operating metaphor, right? We're looking out, we can see the sea, and yet the sea transforms before our eyes, and we see that it's just blessing upon blessing, wave after wave of glory being brought back from all the peoples to Yahweh. We see all the way out to the Mediterranean, but everything is pulled as if this light had a gravity of its own, bringing the nations to the temple. I hope you're beginning to see it for yourself. Isaiah was not just predicting that people from all over the place would come to know Yahweh as the one true God. It wasn't a cognitive assent to something. He was given a vision in which he saw God's sovereign hand correcting every aspect of a fallen creation, restoring each bit to its proper place in bringing him praise. Remember, this vision was first offered to a people who were either in exile or standing in the ruins of a once great city. Think what kind of peace this might bring to hear that God has a plan to restore all things that gave meaning to your life. The camels, the sheep, the rams, these are all part of worship for Yahweh. We have land and sea being transformed. We have people and creatures being brought into the worship of Yahweh, proclaiming his praises. Grammatically here, it is the camels who come bringing praise. Now I'm sure there's a kind of extension of metaphor in there bringing people that are praising him. But I did bring up Narnia earlier, so maybe we got some talking camels. Just saying. So, 
in this image we imagine, we see that these waves of camels come bringing praise to Yahweh. Showing that there is a total rededication from every people group in every corner of creation. Which brings us to our last two verses. So far, as I mentioned, the vision has shown light transforming land, sea, people, and beasts. They're all brought into the redeeming light. But what's left? Now we see that even the wind and sky are working their way towards this radiance. Who are these? Like clouds, they glide. And like doves to their lattice lattice posts. For coastlands cast cast their trust to me. And Tarshish ships set off foremost to bring your sons from far away, their silver and their gold with them, for Yahweh's name, yes, for your God, and for the Holy One of Israel, because He has made you beautiful. Notice how in each scene of this vision, the prophet directs our gaze at something, which then transforms before us. The darkness breaks and releases all lands. The abundance of the sea becomes waves of tribute. And here we see something flying like a cloud or a dove. But it turns out to be even more tribute from even further away. The coastlands and Tarshish are often shorthand for the very farthest cities on earth. In the world of this vision, even the most remote countries will have seen the splendor of God and come rushing with gifts of offering to the Holy One of Israel. Rather than being scattered and oppressed like the first audience who heard this vision, this vision shows a people being brought together, basking in the light of Yahweh as all creation joins in offering praise and submission. It's a reversal of all circumstances. I think it's pretty safe to say that while this vision would have been a great source of hope to that initial audience, that original audience, it's also probably fair to say that as the years went by, it may have been a source of pain. I think as the years went by, it was probably hard to keep the hopes up, right? As you kept looking at this ruined city and kept seeing a temple that was only a shadow of the glory that it once held, and the peoples still had no awe or reverence for Yahweh. It must have been hard to step back and forth between the world of this vision and the world that we have to deal with on the day-to-day. And I wonder if we don't have the same problem. 
you know, here on the other side of the first epiphany, we recognize that gifts were brought to our king and that all of the nations have, you know, acknowledged Jesus in some way. And yet, does it not feel like there's still a lot of thick darkness out there? I think for me, oftentimes epiphany just feels like a box that was checked and not something that is a constant hope for us. But as I was preparing this sermon, I had a little epiphany of my own, and I realized that this this vision continues to present us with a gauge for our own hope and a challenge for what do we do with it, right? Because I think what, what we can gather from this epiphany season is that the light has come, right? We celebrate that with, with the gospel reading this morning. The light has come, and it has been acknowledged. And yet, what did Jesus do? He gave himself so that we would be the light, so that his church would be the light of the world. And so, we're left here with epiphany in our own hands. Yes, the light came down and it shone among us, but now it's time for us to shine. And so epiphany leaves us with a season where we get to renew our fervor. Have we not received gifts at Christmas? Some of us have received many. But it is a time for us to use all of our gifts. And as the camels and the rams and the sheep go gladly to the service of the temple, is it not our responsibility to shine out and bring our gifts to beautify the church, the bride of Christ? Is it not our responsibility to go out into the world and break the darkness apart? This epiphany season is a time for us to renew our fervor, to inspect our own hearts. How much have we been giving? Are you offering trunks of gold to the king? How much are you keeping for yourself? And at this point, I would, I would like to invite the capital campaign team to come up. No, I mean, the, the, I don't even know that we have that. Um, that one's just free for you, Stephen. Um, no, it's time. It's time for us to assess what can we give? What is the Spirit giving us the strength to give that is beyond what we would imagine for ourselves as possible. It's a season for thinking of that and for acting on it. I can't tell you what it is, but while I'd love to close on that high note, 
I think there's, there's maybe one challenge that, that needs to be answered before I close, and that's, what if you feel like you're in the darkness? What if you know you're supposed to be the light, but it feels like you're in the pit? And if that's you today, well, it should probably be all of us. And I want to say that, first, God has not been scared to work through broken people all throughout history. But if it feels like it's worse than that, if it feels like it's heavier than that, if it feels like you're really stuck, I want to close with a note of hope that Christ has come for you and light is here to set you free. You can be used, but you can be mended first too. And that answer is not simple. If it was simple, we would all have gone through it already. But the answer is here in this room. Because we are the light. And whether or not you feel darkness holding you tight, your brothers and your sisters are here. And it is our job to break you free from that darkness. It is our job in the worship to provide you with the light and the levity to cast those off. It is our job with the prayer team in the back during communion for you to come and let your brothers and sisters speak the truth of God into your life over and against the lies of the devil. And the light is here at the table where we take on the body and blood of Christ to set us free physically and spiritually from the things that are obstacles to us in this world. Do not be discouraged. It sounds tricky, but this light often travels at the speed of life. And it takes time for you walking in fellowship with your brothers and sisters to be set free from the things that hold you. But have faith, take heart. This vision is true. It will surely come. It will surely come and you will arise and you will shine. The God who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. So this epiphany, step into the light. Do what you can to check your hopes, to set them high, and to get out there and break the darkness like you were called to do. Amen.